Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Praise the Lord, everybody. Begin turn with me this evening to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah comes after Obadiah before Micah. It's kind of like last week, right? All over again. Amen. The book of Jonah. I'm going to read from chapter number four. And Throw your finger there and also turn to the book of Romans, chapter number 5. And if you will, we'll read from Jonah first and then we'll read from Romans. We're going to go to Jonah, chapter number 4. We're going to be reading verses. Verses number 4 and verse number 9. And then from Romans, chapter number 5, we're going to read verse number 19. I had intentions tonight on teaching on anger and uh, in the process of studying that out the Lord took me on a detour and so here we are and so if you can deal with the ramblings of this preacher tonight I appreciate it but uh, I feel like maybe the Lord might have something here for us and so that's the reason why I'm doing what he wants to do rather than what I want to do <laughs> Amen Jonah chapter number 4 and verse number 4. These are, these are two short verses here. But we'll, we'll get us all up to speed to the best of my ability before tonight's over. Jonah 4 and verse 4. This is a question that the Lord gives to Jonah concerning his attitude toward something that the Lord had done. The Bible says, Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? And I am not talking about anger tonight. It just so happens in the process. Studying anger, I got here and this way here. Only some of these men will understand how this can happen. He says then in verse number 9, God said to Jonah, this is, again, Jonah's response to something else that God had done. Okay. God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Turning over to Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 19. And my emphasis is really on the second portion of verse number 19. For as many, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I need to go on down to verse 20. That's where I really need to go. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. This is the phrase that I wish to draw your attention to. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, I want to come in a, a plane tonight, maybe from a different direction to hit the runway with Romans 5 and verse number 20. And I'd like to talk to us tonight, since I wrote down verse 19, I'll scribble that out and make edits right here. I want to talk to us tonight about when more is not enough. When more is not enough. 
and I am speaking in the context in which the scripture was written Romans 5.19 when he's talking about where sin doth abound grace does much more abound so I'm talking in the context of grace I want to talk about when if I could even be more specific when more grace is not enough alright let's pray tonight Father I come to you this evening God, I pray, Lord, take the swirling thoughts, Lord, that's in my heart and my head. God, and grant them understanding as they exit my mouth. I pray, oh, Lord, tonight, God, you know, Lord Jesus, God, what I feel, Lord, that you have laid upon my spirit tonight. I pray, God, Lord, to do it justice because it is your holy and adulterated word. I pray, oh, Lord, tonight, mark every air from my lips, from my mind and mouth. Help me, Lord, to speak something that is acceptable. God, that's noteworthy and for the benefit, God, of the hearers that are sitting here under the sound of my voice. The lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Lovely name of the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, when more is not enough. When more is not enough. I hope to be able to illustrate this through the story of Jonah tonight. But just to come out of the, the shoot, so to speak, with uh, no hidden agendas or having to build up to the pulling back the curtain of the mystery, so to speak. Whenever I talk about when more is not enough Paul writing in Romans 5 was very explicit very plain concerning how before there was the law people may have been sinning but did not have a recognition of their sin and it wasn't until the introduction of the law whereby they could measure their sin or right living by not until the law was introduced that man would be able to gauge his own personal life about where he stood concerning his relationship with God. And so because the law entered the picture, sin entered the picture, or rather the knowledge of sin. People knew then that uh, this is what was appropriate or proper uh, in the sight of God. And if they were living to that level, then they knew that they were doing well. If they were living below that level, they knew they weren't just quite, you know, just not quite getting it just yet and so came the knowledge of sin and though then with the knowledge of sin as it would go any of you that have been born again of the water and the spirit know or even maybe some that are still living in a life not yet of the Lord know that with sin with those offenses come the guilt and the shame and all these various things that load upon our shoulders and our minds and our life and it, we're just looking for a place to unload looking for a place to for that to be removed, that guilt to be gone, that shame to be eradicated. And so God, by virtue of making himself a body called Christ Jesus, inhabiting that body, taking that body to the cross of Calvary, allowing it to be sacrificed, as it were, upon a tree and bloodshed, we understand then there was something extended to us by virtue of Calvary, by virtue of the sacrifice of the cross, and that was this concept called 
grace. Because of the grueling act of Calvary. Because Calvary may not have cost you anything, but it did cost him everything. It may seem, as the Bible portrays it, the free gift. And as I've oftentimes said, if you got anything free, somebody had to pay for it. And so, so while it didn't cost us anything, it cost him everything in order for us to receive this thing called grace. Now here is the quandary. Grace, people have come to a place that they have misunderstood or misinterpreted grace. Because the scripture says where sin did abound, grace much more abounds. Almost seemingly to think that whatever the level or the place of sin may be in a person's life, great God Almighty, there, wherever sin may be in a person's life, great God Almighty, there's, there's an abundance, a surplus of grace in comparison to that. Grace abounds. And so the misunderstanding comes by virtue of this. And I know this is not anything new. And again, I'm not trying to bring something new, but I'm trying to bring something back to our mind's attention here. That grace was extended to us so that we might be made free or have opportunity to be free from that, that guilt and that shame of that sin and to try to turn the corner where we would not have to sin continuously and deal with guilt continuously and shame continuously, but that we would have that removed with all intentions of not trying to sin so that we can stay out from under the load of guilt and shame. All right? But the difficulty of the New Testament church then is that many of them misinterpreted or misconstrued grace and Paul even dealt with it at large in the New Testament scripture that boys, this grace that was given to you was not given to you for the purpose then that you can sin and you can do whatsoever you would like to do because you know God's got your back and took and paid the price for what you are doing wrong. He was dealing with a mindset of people that came to the idea that they were a bunch of heathens. Thank God for His grace. We have a chance and opportunity where we don't have to deal with the guilt and shame of that, but we're going to continue being heathens. Because we got grace in our corner. But that was a, that was a misconstruction. And so as a result, what happened was they began to take grace as a means of condoning their way of life that was in opposition and in contrast to what God wanted. And they began to take that grace as an endorsement, as a condoning. But I'm here to state very plainly tonight, and please listen to me, grace is not an endorsement for the wrongs that happen in our life. Just because the words fall out the mouth that someone feels like they got by with something or that they were blessed in some area or in some mode, yet what they had done was sin, that is by no means an endorsement of heaven or an endorsement of God. And that's not grace endorsing anything. When we truly understand grace, we understand grace in these modes that grace is nothing more but an opportunity. Hear me. 
Grace is an opportunity. Grace is not trying to endorse or condone a lifestyle that is outside, contrasting, if you will, in opposition to the spirit and the power of our God. Can someone say amen? And so Paul didn't want them to get this wrong. He didn't want them to misinterpret this, this concept or idea of grace. Even so much so that the Bible says that he speaks to us in Romans 5. He talks about how grace did much more abound. But if you go on to Romans chapter 6, and I'll get to Jonah. He's, he's out there, all right? Amen. When we get to Romans chapter number 6, he even brings things to a, a head here. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound. He answers his own question in verse number 2. God forbid. Amen. God forbid. How shall we that are supposed to be dead to sin live any longer therein? And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, guys, don't, don't misconstrue. Don't misinterpret this. He says, don't you dare take grace as an endorsement for sin or that you can go on sinning and God's just going to take care of it. And the fact is, God will take care of it. But you've misunderstood grace whenever you start to do that. He says, you don't have to keep on sinning in order to experience God's grace. Someone say amen. So you don't have to keep on sinning in order to experience God's grace. All right? He says, that's not the fact here. He goes on. If you go further down, uh, somewhere around verse number, uh, verse number 15, he states in, in Romans 6, he says, what then? Because he's talking about how we're no longer in the law but under grace. In verse number 14, he says in verse 15, then he says, what then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law. You know, because the law came, the law showed us, you know, that we had sin in life. But now that we're not living in the law, does that mean then we can sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. And he answers his own question. God forbid. And so he's basically telling him, you don't need to misunderstand grace. It's not that you can just keep on sinning because you're not under the law or that you can just keep on sinning because there's this thing now called grace that is in your life. You got it all wrong. Now look, back back up to Romans chapter 5 and verse 21. The Bible says that as, as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign. Everybody say reign. Through righteousness. Grace reigns. Someone hear me? Grace reigns. Grace has the power. Grace has the, the, the control. Grace has the authority. All right? Grace succeeds through righteousness, not a continuation of our sin. Someone say amen. amen. And so with this, that is our foreground tonight. That is our foreground tonight. I want it to be understood that what we need in life is not necessarily more grace. But what we need is a proper relationship with the grace that we have. We, we don't need more, more grace. You don't need more opportunities. He's given, you, he's given us more than our share. All we need is a proper understanding of that grace, of that opportunity. Now, with all that said, let's go to the book of Jonah. Because we go to the book of Jonah, and the great thing about this, many are probably familiar with it, but they're familiar just with Jonah being in the belly of a, a great fish, as Jonah calls it in the New Testament. Matthew actually calls it a whale, so you're fine. I've heard people just 
hit each other up and say, it's had a great fish, but it says well in Matthew. Amen. But nevertheless, here in the well for, for three days and three nights. There's something that we must understand about Jonah. Jonah is a prophet, all right? Jonah's a prophet. He's, he, his book, Jonah, is one of the minor prophets. But Jonah is very different outside of all the other minor prophets in that all the other prophets and minor prophets, when you read the stories that are written in there, the story is usually about the message of the prophet. Right? The stories are usually about the message of the prophet. But in Jonah, the story isn't so much about his message because if you read his literal message in chapter number 3 that he spoke to Nineveh, it's just a few words, folks. This, this story isn't so much about the message as it is about the man. Jonah. And Jonah is writing during a time, he is writing during a time, he is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. He is writing during the, during the time that King Jeroboam, is, Jeroboam II is in rule and reign. The condition that has taken place during this time is that uh, Jonah has already prophesied back in Kings how Jeroboam and Israel was going to be extending their boundaries again. They were going to reclaim some land that they had lost and so that was great for Israel to, to extend their boundaries and reclaim some land but in doing so something started happening to Israel something that oftentimes happened to Israel Israel started getting the big head Israel started feeling prideful about the land that they were getting and about making their boundaries greater again and so with that God had to contend of course with Israel and was already talking to her about he how he was going to send some adversaries into her life to bring her back to the right attitude that she should have concerning herself. And so Jonah is writing during this, during this time, and he's writing here, although the story is about those of Nineveh and those of a heathen nation of Assyria, the story is for the purpose that Israel might learn from it. So that's something we need to understand. Jonah, whenever he's writing the story of his, of his own personal life, it's so that Israel might learn something. Now... There's some things that we need, to, we need to grapple here with tonight concerning the story of Jonah. Because what we read in like Jonah uh, chapter 1 and 2, we read about a man that is a man of God, a man of Israel, if you will, that God has said, go do something. Jonah disobeys, he refuses, yet he finds himself in a series of events that God, in spite of of Jonah's disobedience okay it's whenever he goes down to Joppa going away from where God wanted him to go he happens to find a ship so although he's disobeying God God's still making provision for Jonah and though that the spirit of the Lord there comes a storm upon the sea and they come to find out that Jonah is the one the lots are cast Jonah's the one that all this trouble's about they're going to throw him over the boat so that the storm will cease. When he does, God had prepared a great fish. Although Jonah was being disobedient to God, running from God, God still made provision. Amen. And brought the great fish and took care of all that. And then in chapter 2, we see Jonah in the belly of the fish. He's crying out to God, God, I am so grateful. And he's praying to God. And oh, that deliverance would come and things of this nature. And God showed grace to Jonah. In this predicament, not just when he delivered him out of the belly of fish, but when he had a boat be at Joppa. You hearing what I'm saying? All along the way. But whenever he cried out, he showed, he showed grace unto Jonah. That's basically chapters 1 and 2. But when we get to chapters 3 and 4, we see something different happens. 
we see that Jonah, by the, the, the voice of God, now goes unto Nineveh. He preaches his simple sermon. You can see just a few words that are recorded in chapter number 2. And Nineveh, this horrific, heathenistic group of people that were arch enemies of Israel, neighbors to Israel, very hostile and aggressive toward Israel. They're Gentiles. They're not Hebrews. They're not Jews. They're, 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 very, they're, they're a constant thorn in the flesh of Israel that whenever he preaches to them, they respond with repentance. All right? They respond with repentance. God, the one that said in 40 days, if things ain't right, you're going to be destroyed, says, I'm not going to do that now. He showed the heathen nation grace. Showed the heathen nation grace. And Jonah is upset about it. Now here's something we got to try to figure out. Why is Jonah willing to accept pity for himself? Grace for himself. But no grace for the heathen nation... When, as far as we can see, this could have been the first time that this had been granted to them. Just walk with me. And this is how adamant Jonah is about this. When he's in the belly of the well, he's saying, Lord, get me out of here and let me live. After he finds out that God was showing grace to a heathen nation, he says, let me die. Because he couldn't stomach the fact that a heathen nation would be granted Grace. Someone say amen. amen. Listen. In chapter 3, where God told Jonah to go again, God is giving Jonah a second chance. Huh? God's trying to give a heathen nation, so to speak, a second chance. But here again, Jonah is upset with it. Someone say Amen. So we have all these things that's taking place here in the Scripture that's starting just to bother me just a little bit. Because Jonah seems to view that, that my grace that I'm receiving from God is of greater importance than the grace that they are receiving from God. And the reason why that I believe this is the case is because Jonah misunderstood the grace of God. Can someone say amen? Because listen, here's this is amazing to me. It may not be to you, and that's okay. But here's what here's what Jonah said when he showed up at Nineveh. Look at verse number four, Jonah 3 4. I hope you have your Bibles. Because they're just following my lead tonight. Jonah 3 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, This is what the Lord wanted him to say. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I mean, it's like, it's as though he would open his Bible. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You all would have loved that message because it was short. Short to the point. That's all he said. 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And look at the response of the people. They start to repent. Think, listen. Jonah told them what was going to happen, but never said there was any chance for it not happening. Are you hearing me? 
He said, this is what's going to take place. But he never gave them any, any hope that there could be grace. And so these people, are you listening to me? These people are responding as they are in repentance with the idea and concept that even 40 days from now, are you listening to me? 40 days to now, this thing is going belly up. Because there was no message conveyed of grace. You listening to me? Here's the problem with Jonah. He does what he's doing. Running from God to begin with. Hear me? Running from God to begin with. Doing all his thing in the fish's belly. One, two. Start counting. He's doing all these different things. But with the knowledge that God is a gracious God. They repented. Let me say it like this. They were people of lesser revelation. They were people of lesser revelation. But when God said he, what he was, was going to do, and they didn't know they even had any grace that could be extended to them, they were repentful anyway. Jonah, a man of greater revelation, was doing all the junk he was doing, knowing that God could extend grace to him. With that is a misunderstanding of the grace of God. Hear me. It's a misunderstanding of the grace of God. Because God is like a grace card in our back pocket. And so with greater revelation, we'll do things unthinkable. We'll do things totally against. Because we got this grace element that we're all the time leaning upon. And Jonah's saying, I should be more privileged to abuse God's grace than someone to use it rightly. See, furthermore, this takes in a big scale for Jonah. This takes in a big scale for the nation of Israel because you realize that up to this point in time, Jonah is the first, is the first Hebrew prophet that had been sent to a foreign nation. He's the first one to ever go. Yet the Lord had already spoke to them in, in the Old Testament, even in the book of Genesis. Uh, whenever he spoke to Abraham, he said, you and your nation, your people, you're going to be a blessing to all nations. Because he didn't want it just staying with the Jews. He didn't just want it staying with Israel. He wanted to go over into the heathen nations and the Gentiles. He talked about how they were going to be a light unto the Gentiles. And so the Lord, in one respect, is dealing with the, the nation of Israel through the means that, hey, God is showing grace to a heathenistic nation. And you're going to have to go beyond your, your spectrum and your spect here of just the Jewish Israel people. But God's also dealing with their understanding of God's grace. Because look at Israel. What does Israel do? Israel goes after other gods. Time, 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 time again. Israel does all types of things of marrying outside of their tribes and their peoples. Which meant that they were compromising their faith. How many times? I don't know. I probably couldn't count them on my hands and my feet. Time and time and time again. And the question is, what would they have done if they knew there was no hope? Yet a people that had no revelation was willing to go the distance when they thought there was no hope, but God had hope for them. And yet we're willing to tread upon that hope because we have knowledge of that hope. There's some, there's some seriously wrong with where we first started and where we are. 
Because when we first started, and I've had people come to an altar, they are so overwhelmed by the life that they have lived. They're so overwhelmed by the sin that they have done. They're overwhelmed by the drinking and the chewing and all the cussing and their drug addiction and their prostituting. They're so overwhelmed by that. They have so much guilt and shame that you kind of got to coax them along to let them understand that God is a great... You, you almost just got to let them know how gracious God is. And then they finally get to a point they can accept that and they can rid themselves of all that. But in these Christian lives, if we don't watch ourselves, we'll think because now, now that I understand where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And I'm not living under the law anymore. I'm living under grace. I can continue living like I always live because God's going to have my back. Wrong! Grace reigns through righteousness. <laughs> and so Jonah was willing to be angry about one act of grace toward a heathen people. But overlook, if you will, and simplify the myriad of acts of grace that he had required in his own life. So this is about, not only is it about grace being extended to a heathen nation, this is about, this is also about the continued grace extended to those who we may call the fair weather righteous. Someone say amen. amen. Because the same, the same grace that Jonah was wanting to deny the heathen, he would readily accept for himself be times over. Amen? And so here's this question of the Lord then in, in, in verse number 4 that I read to you. What the Lord had just done, the Lord had just done what Jonah was afraid. The reason why Jonah never went to Nineveh to begin with, he tells him in chapter number 3, Lord, I knew you would do this. I knew you would do this. And yet he did the things he did because he knew the Lord would do it. But we have two different motives here of two different groupings of people. And so he says the Lord, whenever he learned of their repentance, the Bible speaks about how the Lord in verse number 4 and verse number uh, chapter 4 and verse number 2, the Bible speaks about how Jonah said, God, I knew that you were a gracious God. And they were merciful and slow to anger of great kindness and repentance of the evil. And so he knew all this. And so then now Jonah's saying, God, well, don't you kill me? And God just asked him, dost thou well to be angry? Do you have right? Do you have a right to be angry? Because I've given grace to a people of no revelation that repented when they didn't even know grace could come to them. And so then further along, Jonah gets on his little high horse and he's upset about all this. He goes out to a, 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 a place over here and, and the, the sun is very hot upon him. He's over here wanting to see if anything's going to, if destruction's going to happen. We're going to wait out these 40 days and we'll just see what goes on. And he's over there and it's very hot over there. And, and the Bible says that the Lord God made there come a gourd out from the ground and it overshadowed him. And what was that? Grace. This gourd came out and overshadowed him and it was there and it seemed to keep him from the, uh, the swarthy heat and the sun of that day and though then the Lord prepared a worm the next day to come up and eat the gourd. And now the gourd is no longer there. And, and, and here's Jonah 
Man, he is upset. He is mad. He's wishing now again, man, just kill me, just die. And the Lord asked him that question, very saying, Dost thou well to be angry toward the gourd? And Jonah says, well, absolutely. But here's two scenarios. In one hand, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm good to be angry because you're extended the grace to someone. And on this hand, to a heathen nation that of a less revelation, and on this hand with the gourd, he says, I, I'm, I'm willing and I have a right to be angry because you are keeping back grace from someone of great revelation, and might I footnote, that has taken advantage of grace over and over and over and over. See, there's a problem when we think we should be given the same privileges. That we got as a new convert. As a mature Christian. Huh? Because he's saying... It's not right for you to give it to them, but it's not right for you to keep it from me. Here, here, here's the difficulty in all of this, folks. Grace, listen to me. I'll, I'll take you there. But grace is only effective in the present. Okay? And I, I, I'll tell you what I mean. Grace is only effective in the present. If I can take you to the book of Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Jonah had all this revelation for that matter. The nation of Israel even had whole, all that revelation of God. But they continued to play their game. But 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 in verse number 1, the Bible says, When then, as workers together with him, Paul says, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Paul says, We're workers together with Christ, and we're beseeching you. I mean, we're pleading with you that you don't receive the grace of God in vain. How does this happen? Verse 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. Right now in the time of God's grace. He hears your prayers. And in the day of salvation have I secured, which is the word for help, Help thee. Behold, now, everybody say now, is the accepted time. Behold, now, everybody say now. Now is the day of salvation. I know that we're living in what's called the dispensation of grace. But the dispensation of grace may not be lasting tomorrow. The dispensation of grace may not be lasting through the night. The dispensation of grace may not be lasting in the next hour in the next few moments. Christ at any opportunity and time may come back to get his church. And Paul was pleading with the believers, don't you take God's grace in vain. 
Because you take God's grace in vain when you continue to live just like you want to live. And you're not taking grace for the moment, for the now. For... He's saying every moment, every minute, every second of your life, you need to take grace for the moment. Because grace in this moment may not be any grace in the next moment because the rapture could take place. So you can't live a life of sin and do what you want on one hand and get the grace card on the other hand. Because when you sin here, there might not be grace for you in your next moment. Because the life... That you know now could be changed. Immortal could be poured. Immortal could be poured on immortality. Incorruptible, uncorruptible. You understand why he says? So, though I beseech you, don't you take the grace of God in vain. And taking the grace in God in vain is this: thinking it's good for here and it'll be good for over there. But between here and there, I can do what I want and catch back up with it. It might not be there for you to catch back up with. You better not take the grace of God in vain. It's acceptable now. Now. That's the reason why we live a life of repentance. That's the reason why it's more than just something that we do the first time we ever come to know God. That repentance is a daily thing. I find myself sometimes through the day, I just ask God just sometimes, God, forgive me. There's times right after I've done wrong, I'm, I'm like, or in the moment, it's almost like simultaneous. Oops, I'm sorry. And I understand God's not up there and he's putting our name in and scratching out, putting our name in and scratching out, and all that garbage. But there is a difference in making a mistake and living a life that you know not, you shouldn't be doing, but you're doing anyway. There's a difference stumbling and, and falling and, and being snafu'd and like, man, I know, man, that kind of came from blindsided me and there I was. And there's a whole different thing about, there it is, I know it's wrong, I accept it's wrong, but I'm going to embrace it anyway because I got God's grace. You mis Listen, you misunderstand some things. Do you know the cost? In order to take God's grace like that, understand the cost. You got to look back at Calvary. You got to see the blood flowing from a man. You got to see the wounds that's in his hands and in his feet. You got to see the crown of thorns that's upon his head. You got to see the cat of nine tails that came upon his back. You got to see the agony. You got to see the pain. You got to see him ostracized by those that were closest to him. And look at that and say, that right there is grace. And so you're going to tell me you're going to live like you want to live just so that he could hang? You gotta see all of that picture of grace right there. You gotta see all of that picture of grace. So while you go do your thing, it's it's just like this. It was there's not gonna be another crucifixion. There's not gonna be another man die for you. But you gotta willingly know whenever I go do that, which is wrong, and I know it's wrong. I know that I just got him on that tree. I know there's another drop of blood coming. I know there's a wound that's going. I know all of that, but I, I can't accept that. You don't even understand grace. Grace is an opportunity that's been extended to you. But I told Jonah, 
Jonah 4 and verse number 10. After he spoke to Jonah about, you're angry about the gourd, that I took it away. Yeah, Lord, I'm angry. I mean, even the And said the Lord, you've had pity on the gourd. You didn't labor for it. You didn't make it grow. There's nothing you did that warranted the gourd. It didn't come from you. It wasn't manufactured by you. You couldn't have thought it up. You didn't make it grow. It came up a night and it perished in a night. It's like a 24-hour span. You had this gourd. He said, and you are upset about all this and you have pity on the gourd. He says, then in verse 11, then why should I not spare Nineveh, that great city? Wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. He's saying, You're having pity over me withdrawing the grace that came to you that was not of your own, not of your own working, not of your own doing. You're pitying that which I have withheld from you. Although I have given it to you sundry, sundry, sundry times. You're pitying that. If you can pity the grace, if I tell you, if you, if you can pity one out of the many multitudes of times I have, one out of the many multitude of times that I haven't given it to you, then I should be able to have concern for one time that I'm trying to extend to someone that's not yet taken advantage of. You understand me? I'll try to come to a close. Huh. What's very easy in the misunderstanding of grace is that Jonah disobeys God and did, in fact, have a boat at Joppa, prepare a fish at the sea, prepare a gourd, right? So here's what happens when people go against God and still things happen appropriately in their life, they take that as God endorsing their wrong. I'm not doing right. Look at here, God had a shift for me though. I'm not doing right. But look, when I was thrown overboard right in the nick of time, there was a fit be correction in the light. But that's always right in the moment. Because you don't have it promised for tomorrow. Oh, God's got, and I know we say these little cliches. God's given me enough grace for tomorrow. He has if tomorrow's capable of coming. But it may not. So what have you, what have you said all this for? I said all this to say this. If you know something is not right to do, don't do it. Plain and simple. 
or if you're doing things wrongly and it seems like God's still blessing you and you're just being overwhelmed by His grace, look at it. That's not Him condoning. That's Him giving you opportunity. For what? For change. For reformation. Everybody doing okay? Let me close with these verses. I know this might be different. That's all right. I'm not worried about it at all. I've shared the Bible. Stayed in the book. Romans chapter number one. Let me see go and play a little bit there. It'll make everybody feel more comfortable. Romans one. Paul right to the church of Rome. He came to this place. Romans 1.21, he said, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Boy, there's a problem there. They knew him as God, but they didn't glorify him as God. When you've come to know him through a salvation experience as God, but then you purposefully and intentionally do things in your life that are contrary to him and therefore not bringing glory to him, you're knowing him as God but you're glorifying him not as God. Neither were thankful. That describes Jonah a lot. All these myriad of times, God is gracious. Because he got to that one point, what? You took my word as though you owed that to me. He doesn't owe any of us anything. From the pastor to the pauper, he don't owe any of us anything when we start becoming unthankful is whenever we start misunderstanding grace the Bible says but they became vain in their imagination their foolish heart was darkened and it goes on through the list of this spin downward spin of how they started making images and they started praising the creation more than they did the creator and and there's this downward spiral that's going on they started not to retain knowledge God the knowledge of God in their hearts and they started doing those things that are natural without natural affection and backbiters and haters of God and so man it just starts to tailspin until it comes to a place that the Bible says that they would come in verse 28 and even as they did not like to retain God and their not acknowledge God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient in other words God says you like doing all these things and still trying to relax on my grace I'll just let you feel so good about doing all those things I'll take away the remorse and guilt that you feel doing them and I won't even give you a conscience to feel bad about what you're doing that is bad we won't have to worry about this grace aspect no you'll be turned over to a reprobate mind you'll have no basis of conviction you have no knowledge of wrong you can just continue doing what you always wanted to do under the umbrella of my grace but I've reached a point here I'm not willing for you to redefine grace for those that have not yet ever God is so conscious of his grace that he's not willing for someone that's in the church to take advantage of it to the level that they're going to redefine what it means for someone that's yet to experience it. And so there's a certain mode then in Romans. We talk about where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Well, there's, there's a time when more isn't enough for some people. When more isn't enough for some people. 
because there will always be needing more because they've not totally understood grace. Don't get it in vain. Don't take it in vain. God is a gracious God. Jonah, buddy, and you received a second choice. You, you got a second chance. You crying over somebody who got a second chance. You got more than just second. You had seconds, thirds, and fourths. The nation of Israel had second, thirds, and fourths. They had all this revelation about it. Still didn't quite get it. And I don't want to fall prey to that. Here's the bottom line. Sin and the nature of sin in our life gives us a venue or an opportunity for sinning to commit acts of sins. And so if you are sinning and there's an act of sins that's repetitively happening in your life that you know should not be happening, I think I'd find grace tonight. In the moment. Right now. Today. Listen, I'm not trying to use a scare tactic. I'm trying to use a reality tactic. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. The Bible says, I don't know. No man knows. He'll come as a thief in the night. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. But he said, we can know the season. We can know the time. And there's wars and rumors of wars. And there's earthquakes in diverse places. And, and they're saying, here is Christ or there is Christ. And all these, it says that I can know the season. I might not know the day now. But since I do know the season, I understand the season is now. Then... Is he coming as a thief? You know, he, the Bible says if, you, if a good man knew what the hour the thief was going to come, he would be waiting for him. And here's the thing. We don't know when he is going to come, so we must always be ready. Someone say amen. And so the thief's going to come. Normally, if he comes in the house and he hasn't scoped it out, guess what he's going to take? That which is most valuable to him. Going to walk in there? If it's the jewels, he's going to have the jewels. Whatever is the greatest worth, the most value to him, that's what he's taking. I don't know when it's going to happen. But whenever he comes back, Christ does as a thief. We don't know when it's going to happen, but I want to be always ready. He's coming back too for something that is most worthy, most precious to him. He's coming back for his church that has a good grasp and understanding on his grace. All right. Let's sing. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.